A few years ago, Anthony, or AJ, Davies and I, made a short film called The Cold. The filmmaking process was fraught with difficulties and complications, as is often the case with ambitious micro-budget productions. But in spite of all of that, the end product was a film which was accepted at numerous international film festivals, receiving a high commendation at one, and has acted as a stepping stone for some interesting projects. In this podcast, Anthony and I spent some time recounting the details of that process. We remember the challenges we faced and how we overcame them, from filming in a foreign country to the meticulous and often laborious visual effects and editing process on a changing but constantly tight budget. We frankly discuss our attempts to ensure the production values look high and that the story works on multiple levels. We try to be honest about where we could have done better, to what degree those problems were brought on by a lack of any discernible budget, and what we learnt and will take forward with us. Hopefully this podcast will be interesting to young and experienced filmmakers alike, those who might stand to learn something, and those who simply enjoy listening to filmmakers regale tales of an unusual filmmaking process. The Cold was co-directed by AJ Davies and me, Jay Sutherland, written by the Bram Stoker award-winning novelist Keelan Patrick Burke, and starred Casey Clarke of Resident Evil Afterlife and The Inbetweeners, alongside myself. It's free to view on YouTube, and there are, or will be, some accompanying behind-the-scenes videos there too. We hope you enjoy listening. what your motivations were and why you were looking to start a project like like cold right so from my personal perspective i was at a point where i just needed to make something as creatives we're constantly in this position where we're waiting for other people and this was a point where i was just like i'm just going to do this now i need to do this and i need to do it with people that are on the same page as me and so for the idea of the cold the way that all came about was i it was literally just as simple as this i wanted to do something that was about characters who were right at the end of their tether i'd already had the previous realization that characters that were at the end of their tether tended to be in these sort of extreme life-altering situations and that was served really well by kind of apocalypse scenarios so as cumbersome as this might sound, it was a bit of backwards engineering. I thought of the idea of an apocalypse scenario and this sort of survivalist attitude and thought that would be the best type of environment in which that type of emotion could be expressed. And I thought, you know what, there's a there's a really good writer that I almost worked with called Keelan Patrick Burke, and he'd, he'd written a script for a feature film that I that was never made in the end for which I was in contention and I always remembered how fluid the dialogue especially was in that and so I thought it might be worth just asking if he's got anything already written that would capture what I'm going for here so I contacted Keelan and he didn't have anything that suited what I was looking for at that point because he is primarily a horror writer and this wasn't particularly a horror genre uh, thing that I was looking for but he liked the kind of the essence of the idea that I had as minimal at that point as it was and I sent him a script which I'd written myself which was just basically characters talking in a, in a in a hut and he read that and he liked it 
and I and I said sort of using that theme can you come up with anything and he was like oh I don't think I really have time and then literally the next day he sent me a script <laughs> which he'd written he'd knocked up this short film script called Snow which just ticked all the boxes that I'd laid out for him and the evolution of that project began and um, we started to sort of chip away at this script together with the work with the help of Keelan to fashion something that we knew we could make what about from your perspective at that sort of point how did that all play out in your mind during that period well it was even interesting hearing all that because there's stuff that I didn't even know <laughs> they're saying that like I, I, I think I was even surprised I think you told me that before about the thing about um I think I was under the impression initially that Keelan just had the script I didn't I think I think I'd always thought it was more of a kind of he'd had that script sort of semi in waiting or something mm. um but anyway, yeah, to, to your point, though, it's like, I mean, yeah, I appreciate what you said. It's like I was very much in a similar situation that like, you know, I was very fortunate that I had I enjoyed my job and I liked the work I was doing. And I was very fortunate that I got to work somewhat in the field that I had a passion for, which was filmmaking and editing and, and graphics and all these things. But I, I always felt like, you know, I mean, if I'm being honest with myself, as much as I love the work that I do, it wasn't my ambition at 16, 17 to, oh, I'll go and do this corporate video or I'll go and do that corporate project. So in my mind, I'd always sort of been saying to myself, and I still do to this day, you know, it's like, oh, I want to work on creative projects. I want to make a short film. And I'd been lucky that sometimes through work or even like in, in other avenues of, of music videos and that, that I could have a creative outlook. But I hadn't really actually even proved myself in that area, really. I'd made short films in other aspects in sort of education or things like that, but I hadn't just out and out done a, a short film that was just done for art's sake, for creative sense. And mm. I think from my perspective, the thing I was very aware of is that like you can give yourself a lot of credit for your skill set. But realistically, I'm I'm just a guy with a camera. Do you know what I mean? And no one really cares about that. They care about the people in front of the camera, the talent, the story. That's what matters. Um, and that's what I felt you brought. You know, you're a talented actor and you you had the story and it's like, you know, that's not something I could do on my own. You know, I, I've always been very aware that you know, you need good actors to sell. I mean, I've seen countless, I'm sure many people have seen, not to knock them, but countless short films that you think that would have been pretty good if it wasn't for the acting. Or, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or it's just, you know, not, it's not to do disrespectful <laughs> to people, but it's almost like they've made it with some of their mates. You know, it's not like a, a, a serious short film or it's not like an, an actor is really committed to that role. It's just, you know, Dave was available at four, so Dave did the role. So mm. appro approaching the project for me was kind of about, it was almost like, yeah, partly like a proving ground for myself, but partly it was exciting. That was the main drive, I think. It was exciting to think, okay, yeah, let's let's commit some time to doing this. Um, I, and I do, as, as much as I say, my main skill set is really the, probably the, the filmmaking side of it and that side. But I do like writing. I enjoy the sort of, I almost see filmmaking itself as a sort of um, the chore, if you like. The fun bit is that story development, is the coming up with the ideas. You know, it's like, at that point when you've got a script or a film that you like you've almost seen the film yourself in your head do you know you can watch the film for yourself and you go yeah it was, that's all right that but you have to go through the process of filmmaking for other people to share in that for other people to see what you see in your head essentially and i do enjoy that process but it's almost like that's the the funnest bit for me is that that initial stage you know when we were talking through the script and i think you had bits from keelan and we were sending it back and and that was all really exciting. And then, you know, obviously when logistics hit of like, 
you know, well, where can where can we, you know, we've essentially got a short film here. We've got no budget um, that's set completely in a snowy environment. Um, you know, and that that's when the reality of filmmaking hits hard, isn't it? It's when you don't when you don't have money and you don't have the resources to really bring to life exactly what's on the page. And I think that was our next challenge, would you say? It was like when we, remember that whole period we went through when it was like we were looking at when it was going to snow in Scotland initially. Do you remember that? I do, yeah. yeah. So we, we took on this huge task of making a short film that was, as you say, just all set in snow. And I can't really remember how that happened, how we both agreed to that, <laughs> because it seems completely bonkers looking back that here we were having this discussion realizing we both had no money and we were both going to do it out of the goodness of our, our own hearts and pockets and yet simultaneously we were both agreeing to do this film where it was completely set in snow um, and I don't really know what we were thinking at that point or why we thought that that was a good idea but I, I, I think we just thought and I'd been in this in this boat so many times before where I'd been in the boat of trying to make a short film someone had an idea someone came to me with a script or I'd gone to them with a script and it kind of petering out and I think I just had this idea fundamentally of whatever happens we're gonna finish it we're gonna make it and it doesn't matter how it ends up but we need to make this short film are you there mate I was I was encapsulated encapsulated Captivated. I, captivated, I, mean, I was yeah. captivated by your by your wondrous tones. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because it's like I do completely. I know exactly what I'm saying. I think that's kind of what I love about filmmaking, though. Is that is that sense of like the impossibility of it mm. at times. You know, it's like even something that seems quite straightforward sometimes can seem like a mammoth challenge. But I think I remember saying to you at that time when we had that script and we were talking about the logistics of where we would shoot it, and because I think originally Keelan had set it in like. America wasn't it? it was like yeah. sort of part of America there is, is it like um oh, I forget the, the area of America where it's always snowy is it uh, is it sort of Maine or it's where is it where they go in Dumb and Dumber is it like, <laughs> making that up? I think Keelan lives in Maine and that is quite a snowy area Col- Colorado is the place in Dumb and Dumber yeah right so either way originally I think he was he was imagining this and we can speak to him about this but i think he was imagining this sort of american snowy landscape post-apocalyptic we were here in the midlands which you know at best to get snowfall any decent snowfall once every couple of years so i think primarily i liked that challenge though that was what excited me about it and it's kind of i think i remember saying to you that it's the one thing you know above anything else it will make our film different like anyone to a degree can pick up a camera and, and, and shoot a film but giving ourselves that one extra little sort of step or challenge to overcome was going to sort of make it feel like even like we know we were coming from a place of no budget suddenly just the fact that we were in a snowy environment looks like you know before you've even said a word it looks like there's some effort that's gone into this it feels like there's a world that's been built for this story if that makes sense Mm. um but i suppose that the issue we had another challenge we faced is obviously in a big budget hollywood version of this film you would have a snowy New York or a snowy London. I think that was one of the things that we we were struggling with for a while, wasn't it? Do we, how do we show a sort of world that is supposedly like a post-apocalyptic, almost climatic change, um, a climate change has happened, so that the the normal world has become like another ice age? Is that that was kind of the idea of the script, was it? 
Uh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm asking that question now like I didn't know all along. <laughs> <but> like, <laughs> well, um, I reckon I reckon you're right. The way I saw it, and I think the way we both saw it at the time, something we really wanted to do was we wanted to allude to things as much as we could without outright saying them in the script. So we wanted things to be evident from things that were there. So in the classic show, don't tell sense of filmmaking. And one of those things that perfectly encapsulated that was literally the idea of it being a snow laden landscape and it would have perfectly made the point of it being this apocalypse if it had been in a sort of a a more built-up environment rather than a mountainous region it would have it would have said a lot about the story and about the background and the lore L-O-R-E, not L-A-W, if we had been able to show that visually in the exact way that we wanted to. And we spent a lot of time deliberating over how we we're going to do that. And it's why we wanted, ideally, to wait for there to be snow in the UK, which just literally never came. And it's why, in the end, we just bit the bullet. We booked those flights to Austria. And that was a weird time, you know, to just... I can't remember how it happened, but in my head, what we did was we just literally went flights are only like 50 quid should we just go to austria <laughs> for like two days and get some snowy shots and that's what we did and it, it it basically came back down again to the whole idea of just doing it because you can sit and you can wait and you can deliberate as much as as much as you want but at the end of the day nothing beats just doing it and for 50 quid each or whatever it was and the airbnb I mean, overall, during that period, I've got it all written down somewhere, but that three-day period would not have cost us very much money. We just had a three-day holiday, three-day trip to Austria, booked an Airbnb, drove up a mountain and had some food. When it was just you and me. That was the thing. It was just you and me. We didn't have any more crew. We didn't have a sound guy to take with us. We didn't, didn't take Casey with us, who played Rachel. It was just you and me. I mean, it's it's funny hearing you say all that because as you were speaking, I actually had a big smile on my face. And <sighs> like, I've, got, I've got my camera and you can see me. But it's like, it is funny when you say it like that. It's like, yeah, because it seemed also rational at the time. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I suppose it, it's like anything in life. You set yourself like little challenges and then suddenly those those challenges become a reality. And you're like, well, the only solution is we go to Austria. <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what it felt. <laughs> that's what it felt like. And, and you know what? At no point in any of those conversations did I go, this is crazy. This is crazy. They're just going to go to Austria. But I, I think that's that. That is what I love about. Like, I mean, I, I know it, the the film itself is going to have its shortcomings from being, you know, having no budget and having such a small crew. But equally, that was some of its strengths. Do you know what I mean? We would never have been able to send more than the two of us to Austria. Do you know what I mean? In a sense, like it didn't, like you say, it's cheap flights. The fact that we could just do that and almost like just take a camera and you know, it was just me and you, like idiots, traipsing through the mountains of Austria, you know what I mean? Just going, yeah, just this looks good. Let's do it here. And like, I mean, it still makes me laugh to this day that I've been to, you know, I don't know how many people will have this claim to fame, but like I've been to one of the major ski resorts in Austria. I was even in the lift. Remember we were going to go up to the main piste. We were going to, we got in that lift with a load of people and like everybody had, yeah, we got in a lift because I don't know what the plan was, but we were going to go to the very top of this mountain to where they skied because I don't know what we were thinking, whether it just looked great or I think we'd seen pictures. And I was like, yeah, let's do that. So, you know, I remember I have this vivid picture of us in this lift. And I don't know at what point we backed out and said, oh, let's just stay at this level because we were still high up, but we were just sort of not at the top. But it still makes me laugh to this day that 
I've never been skiing in my life, yet I've been to an Austrian ski resort. <laughs> but I mean, that's what I love about it, really. And that's what I love about it. I mean, it, it, I'm great. I mean, at the time you're going through these things, they seem like, I say keep using the word challenges, but they seem like, you know, little things you need to overcome and everything seems a little bit of a chore. But I'll tell you what, in hindsight, I'm so glad we did it. Do you know what I mean? I absolutely love that I even got to go to Austria and, you know, experience that country mm. and see it. And and even in the way that we did it, the reasons that we did it for, you know, I didn't just go to Austria for a holiday. You know, I, I mean, in some respects, the film could just be a postcard of our trip to Austria in a way. Do you know what I mean? That, that's what's great about it. And I think it did afford us that sort of extra level of budget look to the film what's the word i'm looking for like it does it production does give values. the impression yeah production value it does it does elevate the film somewhat to look like it cost a bit more than it does not that that's a, a be all and end all of a film but it's like i think it does just take people into that world that we were trying to create yeah totally and totally worth it if you remember rightly when we went to austria i was quite nervous about the whole thing because we'd I mean, it may have only been 50 quid for flights or wherever it was, but it was still an investment, you know, that if it if we'd have got there and there'd been no snow, it would have been a real big bummer, to say the least, because it would have been 300 quid or whatever it was all added up down the drain. And that 300 quid was needed um, at that point. So in that in that coach on the way there, I remember I was tentatively looking out the window and we were shattered as well, if I remember rightly tentatively looking out the window for snow and the snow kept appearing and disappearing and as we arrived at our airbnb there was no snow not a sausage and we were really worried that evening because we went out into the town and there was a little bit of snow falling and there was a bit of snow um on the trees but only in spots and places and things like that it wasn't covered in the way that we'd hoped it would be and so we were really concerned and I got in touch with somebody I knew who lived out there. Now, I can't remember whether this was before or after we went over. I can't even remember. I can't remember how I knew that they lived out there. But someone that I used to know who then ended up being a big part of helping us on this film, a girl called Nia Lanyon. She put me in a WhatsApp group with a group of other people who were involved in the ski industry or they had a, a chalet or whatever. So they were on top of where there was snow because this was a question that was going to be put to them quite a lot and she sort of just threw me into this conversation with three or four other people and was like okay where's where is the snow at the moment because jay's making a short film he really needs your help blah 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 and this was i remember i was in my chalet bedroom that night figuring out where we were going to go in the morning do you know what i was doing <laughs> what were you doing i i was watching the revenant <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's really good because that was you getting your... That's what di- I was watching it for. Yeah, I was sort of, yeah. like, I was sort of like, I'll watch The Revenant. I'll watch that. That'll be like my inspiration for this film. But yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it's funny. I do, it's funny you hear when you talk about this now because it's kind of things I'd forgotten. Mm. I do remember your anxiety about all that, but I don't know if it's like, I never doubted it. I don't know if that's naivety or I don't know what it was. I, I It's like we even had that worry with the, you know, the actual location that was the main exterior for the house. Yeah in the film that actually ended up being right by a ski slope. Mm. Um, I remember that drive being the most anxious I was getting because that was like a key location for the film and it wouldn't have worked without any of that. And you were, I think we were unsure about whether there was snow around the house. But there was no snow on the way up. 
We no. were going up that mountain and there was no snow anywhere. It was like as bare as you like, but there was no snow. <laughs> yeah. And we were just really worried at that point. But apart from anything else, we also had a girl in our car. Do you remember this? Who we'd never met yeah. before. No. Yeah, let me go back to that then. So the problem we had was, and I can't remember whether we still had this problem the night before we were shooting. And if that is the case, then we are more bonkers than I ever remembered. But the problem we had was we had lots of outdoor scenes, lots of exterior scenes, which took place with the character that I played, David, but for which Rachel also needed to be there. And the girl that plays Rachel, an actress called Casey Clark, lived in Los Angeles. And she'd only been back for the one day of shooting for the cold previous to this because it was Christmas and she'd come back to see her family. And so we needed a double. And for a film which was being made for not even £2,000, having a double for an actor wasn't something at the top of our priority list. So literally the night before, I was in a WhatsApp group with people who I didn't know, including a chalet uh, manager or owner called Nate, who I asked completely randomly, I don't suppose you you know anybody who is about five foot seven brunette who from behind or the side would look a little bit like this actress and he was like you know what i do <laughs> one of the girls that works for us of course he did of course he did yeah so he asked this girl if she would wanted to be involved and uh, she was like yeah why not she was traveling at the time and that's when our double appeared so our double got driven up to us we started driving up to this uh, location. Now, there's a quick word on the location here. And this is why it's really important that you are honest with people and you think about every possible way of solving a, solving a problem. We needed a house, but we only needed the exterior. However, we needed access to the interior, even though we didn't need to shoot inside, just so that we could show the character of David, myself, walking out of the house. The reason why it's important to just be honest is because you actually, not just from the perspective of it being morally and ethically the right thing to do, but you actually get much more responsive and helpful people. So what happened was, was there was a really nice looking chalet at the top of a mountain where I thought there's more likely to be snow, that I saw an Airbnb. And I just contacted them. I sent them a direct message. I noticed it was free during the during the time we, we'd booked our flights. And she was like, sure. I've never done this before, but I'll give it you at half the price as it would be for a night. And Bob's your uncle. If everyone knows what they're getting themselves in for, people are really willing to help. Now, a word on on short films and no budget short films that will bug every single creative out there. If you've ever been approached as a creative to be involved with something and you feel as if the person who's asking you to be involved is trying to sell you the idea of being involved on the basis of it being a good idea for you. That's in inverted commas. It's a good idea if you're involved in this project. It will help you get spotted. It will help you reach out to contacts if they sell it to you in the sense that they're going to be doing you a favor, run away. 
it's it's disingenuous and every creative will have will have heard it before that's essentially the attitude we had throughout this and it was the same we had with Courtney who was the double it was the same for the property that we used it was the same for all of the crew that we got involved we never for one minute tried to mislead them with promises of what it might bring them we just wanted to collaborate on a project and we were going to make this short film no matter what no matter how we had to do it and that was that yeah i mean it's funny actually and even just hearing you talk about it takes me back because i mean bless her i mean courtney the the girl that we did randomly find in austria she was she was amazing really when you think about like because you remember what her main job was to just lie in the snow oh and like absolutely that's not not easy not at all and it and it's like um, I can't. She was such a sport about it as well. The other part of the story I realised we've missed in in explaining when you're explaining about the logistics of filming it is that actually for a no budget short film we actually had quite an extensive international shoot because we shot all the interiors in the UK because I think when you were explaining the story about why um, Casey couldn't be in Austria it's because we the, sh- the interiors were mostly shot in Leamington Spa in the Midlands in your in your brother's house wasn't it? Yep. Um, and then we had the filming for most of the exteriors were done in Austria. We had some ex- interiors for buildings. Like we we would get you approaching buildings in Austria, but then obviously we didn't we didn't know who owned them. We didn't have connections for people, so we then picked up shoots in back in the Midlands in locations around like Wolverhampton. We went to specifically for that abandoned factory where you could you could actually go in and it had a sort of a post apocalyptic feel that we needed. Um, and that was a location that we knew of already, which has since been knocked down. Did I tell you that? Mm, you did, yeah. Yeah, that that whole that whole location now that like it only lives on that film now in that sense in that sort of and it was very dilapidated, but it was perfect for what we needed. But so yeah, so in in the sense of actually shooting it, it was like the Midlands, Austria, and even the shots. I don't know if you remember this, the shots that I was able to do, which is the silhouette at the window, I shot when I was on holiday in Croatia, because. The wind, because we'd been talking about how we were going to film it, and I was like, oh, "I'm not sure." And it just so happened, my hotel room in in Croatia had the perfect frosted glass window in the shower, and I was like, "I'm going to have to film that here now, aren't I?" So I just filmed it. So it was actually quite the international shoot we had going on: Austria, Croatia, and uh, England mm. in total. Oh, and no, we didn't. No we, didn't, no, we didn't go to Wales, did we? The beach scene. Where was the beach scene? Devon. Devon. Yeah. Just to lay that out again. Where were the locations? Wolverhampton. Yay. Uh, Leamington Spa, uh, Devon, Austria, numerous locations. And then Croatia, my hotel room. <laughs> Porek. <laughs> so that's what's crazy about when you watch the film back now. It, like, it does seem to kind of work, but I know there's scenes, isn't there, where you, you run out of a door in Austria. No, you leave, you leave a door in Wolverhampton to then run out to a location in Austria and then you arrive back in an interior in Wolverhampton. So it's like, it was just trying to keep all those pieces in our heads, wasn't it? Like trying to keep all those pieces together so that when we came to the edit, it was like, okay, well, this is the bit where you've just run from there. And it mm. was all, a, it was, I wouldn't say it was super planned out, but we did kind of have a plan. And I think that's an important point really, is that most of the things we did in terms of shooting in all these various locations, it wasn't like we planned as such to shoot in all these various locations it was just logistically we kept on coming up against problems and and new things and things we hadn't thought of and the only way to get them done was to do them once we were back home or 
we realized thankfully ahead in advance that what when we were in austria the majority of shots with the snow had to be done now in austria so we just figured out a way to get all these specific shots uh in austria and and then when we went back to england we were like ah well we really need this shot to to link these two scenes together so we had to figure out ways which is where your visual effects work came in really yeah well even even before we got to the visual effects you just reminded me of that bit that we ended up shooting because one of the problems we had was you know we could get ourselves to austria and we could get the kit that we had, the camera kit and the gear that we needed in that sense. But we didn't have tons and tons of room for props and all that sort of thing. So there was an element of the script that called for you to have the animal cage. Oh, yeah. So it's like we filmed you in Austria at the house that we had the exterior for. We filmed you approaching it. And then we ended up, do you remember, we had your conservatory in your own house. We got some fake snow, covered the floor with it. And then we had a cage that you had, and then we just filmed the close-up of your hand. <laughs> then we just and it cut together absolutely fine. That was the beauty of snow. It's a bit like um, it almost, you know, even though that those two locations were hundreds of miles apart, um, you know, you couldn't tell because it's just like well, wide shot with a snow, and then close up with snow, same same place, isn't it? <laughs> so uh, yeah, that that kind of worked in that sense but that I mean, again i love that stuff that's what kind of made it fun do you know what i mean it's kind of what made it exciting those little challenges bearing in mind that the script itself was evolving all the time depending on what we had at our disposal and the logistics and things like that so the finished script and the finished film isn't necessarily exactly how we'd planned it at the beginning in fact it's quite different from the very first script when it came to knowing that we needed snow we made sure that we had an abundance of fake snow ordered in and we made sure the fake snow looked good and we made sure that we had that we thought about where my character had been prior to coming in to, for a shot so we made sure that i had snow on my shoulders in scenes um that were shot in leamington spiral wolverhampton and the cage i can't remember whether we did that before or after but we certainly thought well it doesn't look like we're going to be able to take a cage over to austria on a plane so we'll have to do that somehow in england there were so many logistical challenges that we had to overcome along the way. And um, yeah, I think we did an all right job in the end. I think I think for every other problem that we spoke about, this one took up at least 50% of the conversations and it was about your beard. <laughs> <laughs> How do we shoot in a way? That means, because we were shooting the interiors in Leamington Spa and you needed to have a beard for most of the day, but then for one of the scenes, which was a flashback, you needed to shave but then we weren't sure how soon we were going to go to Scotland or Austria or wherever it was. So would we have enough time for you to regrow a beard? And I just, I remember that becoming like a big thing, like it was about your yeah. beard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was a big logistical problem too. But it's little things like that that I, even I forget, like only talking to you now in this context, do I remember all these little things, you know, you kind of, it's like little things as well, that I think do help the film a lot, like you say, like, and that was more on, you You were very good at that and very diligent at making sure, okay, I'm going to have snow on me when I push through this door, even though it was December when we filmed that, but it wasn't by any means snowing. No. Um, you know, we were just in England and it's like, you know, it just going outside and covering you in a bit of snow. So when you came bashing through the door, that you would have snow on you and you know it, it made sense and so when you watch the film it works perfect because you've just come from an exterior which is absolutely covered in snow um i mean the one thing we never actually had in austria to note as well when if we're going to move on to the visual effects stuff is there was never any falling snow i don't think we never actually were filming 
in falling snow that's all been added in post you know all the all the flakes that you see and like we were very lucky that and i think that actually was probably more helpful because i think actually sometimes even i watch the film and i think god actually if people buy that this is all real it would actually be a nightmare to be filming in these conditions mm. Do you know what I mean? With falling snow and bitter cold. And I mean, I don't know if you remember as well when there was one, I think we prepped ourselves to go up into the mountains and we like, I know I, I mean, you had the costume on, so you were quite sort of warm, but I had loads of layers on. And in about an hour of like just walking through this, these sort of mountainous ranges, I was in a t-shirt. I don't know if you remember, I was like in a t-shirt. I was so hot, like carrying the, because the, we had the, the, we, we we shot on a smaller camera, but we were on a little gimbal setup, so it could be quite smooth, like a little DJI gimbal. And it's like, it was quite hard work, wasn't it? You know, I mean, we had the car to get us from place to place, but we sort of got out and did do quite a bit of trekking. Yeah. Just sort of for the sort of average walkie shots. But It was uh, really hard work. Yeah. It was really, it, it got really warm under there. And it was really important that I always looked really cold, considering that is literally what the film is about. It's not just about that because that's what it's called, but it's also about that because that's what the whole underlying theme is of the film. One of the ways that we made it look like a world, like a real world situation, one of the shots that was particularly useful at portraying that was the wide shot in which you spent a great deal of time trying to make it look like, you know, there was... um. It was just to give an impression that there was a city, there was life, it was a lived-in place, wasn't it? We didn't want it to just seem like... I mean, we couldn't get away from the fact that we were in Austrian hills and it's like, you know, I'm sure people pick up on those visual cues, but if we'd had a bigger budget, that would have been London or it would have been, you know, Manchester or, you know, a recognisable place. But we just tried here and there to make it seem a bit more of a, a sort of city environment. If, if we could establish that you were walking towards a city was the main vibe of that shot, wasn't it? That you were actually heading yeah. to life and you weren't just on a sort of Lord of the Rings quest through mountains almost, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know. But yeah, so yeah, there was, there's elements like that. I mean, there's countless times. I mean, I think it's one of the things that caused us so much pain in the post-production was how much we either had to fix or adjust or adapt to with with sort of visual effects to just some I mean I think sometimes that was kind of our saving grace in terms of the lack of budget that we could fix it. I mean it is the classic line for, for filmmaking but it was like not that we intended to always fix it in post but it just became a necessity almost that we had to take things out or add things in or you know make things look more real than they did or, or however it happened and you know, I think we were relatively successful in that in that sense. I think the one thing we sh we should mention is obviously in all the conversations we had about Austria and stuff, we were it was just me and you doing that, but we were very lucky in in the England side of the shoot for the interiors that we did uh, have a bit more of a, a crew of volunteers that came along and helped us shoot it and made it look as good as it did that we probably couldn't have done just on our own. And we had um, James Barnett helping us out with the the photography. We had Chris Sheerwood who was did a number of roles throughout all of the film in terms of just helping us shoot or he did a lot of the sound recording. We had your mate Doug come along and help us sort of light the flashback scene, if I remember rightly. And then you had your friend Matthew doing like some of the behind the scenes stuff. So, you know, across the film, it wasn't just me and you completely working on it all the time. We had makeup artists and, you know, people on those shoots. And then even in Austria, we had the drone operators that you're able to find. Uh, I've got their names, uh, Lucas and Anita, that came along. They were lovely. 
and helps yeah. us do some of those impressive drone shots that we wouldn't have been able to achieve without them. A, a film project, even if it is just a couple of you, you cannot do it alone and you need, whether it be funded or whatever it is, you need that collaborative aspect because you're all, and it sounds cliched, but you're all part of this and it's really important that everyone not only pulls their weight, but contributes in some form. And I really feel that this was a really good example of of a, of a team that just sort of clubbed together and, and made it happen. And everyone knew what they were getting themselves in for. Everyone, I think, felt comfortable in the environment. Everyone enjoyed it. And, you know, that's really important. We were very lucky as well because you were concentrating on the acting. I just remembered we had um, George Davis, didn't we, on that shoot as well, like acting as like a producer. And he organised so much on that day just yeah. to help pull it all together. I mean, it comes back to kind of what we were saying earlier on. It's like, that's the difference with, I mean, filmmaking as a creative pursuit or an artistic endeavour is like, it's it's a different challenge because you, you, you can do it on your own. There is things you can do with a camera and shoot and edit and stuff, but it really is a much more of a collaborative medium that you need, you know, you need people, you need talented people, you need people you can trust. And, you know, and I, I think ultimately that's sometimes what makes them feel more worthwhile as well. It does feel like a team effort. You know, I mean, you can look at it and say, yeah, I, I did that bit, but really it wouldn't exist as a whole without everybody's um, contributions. Um, and I think that's that's always the projects I've enjoyed, even in my like work life, you know, the, the projects where there is a collaboration and you can, you know, everyone's pitching in and giving their, their all to create something. And I, I think that's what sometimes is what amazes me about filmmaking in a sense. It's like, you know, even just chatting today, like about all the little problems and the challenges. I mean, I think I can't remember which film director it is. I'd have to find out the exact same, but it says like, you know, f- directing and filmmaking is really just problem solving. It's just constant problems that you you know solve one at a time until eventually you get somewhere to having a film, and that's that's essentially you know to go back what I said. You know, this was almost like a chance to have a go at doing this and to sort of you know have that challenge. And and like I'm really proud of what we we're able to create. And obviously there's things we would change, and you know there were things that we were limited by. I mean I do remember I was going to say this before actually, but there was a whole third act ending that we had at one point that just wasn't possible because we needed more actors in Austria. Um, and so you do have to make those sort of sacrifices to to the story in that sense when you're limited by budgets or, you know, the, the logistics of how you're actually going to create something. But I am still very proud of what we did. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I suppose we, we, we did drift into post-production stuff, but that was, I'd say, our biggest challenge as well and probably where I became the biggest frustration for you is because like, as I say, it was, it was just us. There was no big team of people. And it's like, it's kind of funny when I look down the credits, it, it, it becomes like, it's not meant as like an ego thing, but it's like, you know, when you see it, it's like editor, visual effects, sound design, it's like, <laughs> it's like all those things. And I like, you know, I mean, I, I, I love every minute of it, but it's time consuming stuff. And I mean, I think I said to you before as well, it's like a lot of the stuff in this film, I, I like because it's probably, you know, there's stuff that's obviously like a visual effect. And I think sometimes that's the the weakest stuff, but it's the stuff that we've done that people wouldn't even notice that I'm probably prouder of, if that makes sense. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of the opening shot of the, of the, the, the house, you know, when we first established that house in Austria, because again, we were limited by the fact that we, we found this great location, but it was right by a ski slope. So we've had to digitally remove the ski slope and the skiers and all that lot has gone from the shot. You know, we've added in the snow and added even smoke coming from the chimney and all those things, I think, go into creating 
what looks to me even like you know i can see it for its seams and tape and the things that make it go together but i buy that shot do you know what i mean i look at it and i go yeah that's mm. totally just a house there in the snow in the middle of nowhere um and that's often the things i'm most proud of it's like the things that we probably spent hours like do you remember we had that whole problem with the shadows of the skiers and the ski lift on the house i was going to mention that so yeah just explain what happened there so yeah we had that great exterior location but we had the problem of we also got bright sunlight with no not much cloud cover so the shadows were quite harsh and when we're trying to film outside the house i mean literally it wasn't it was a stone's throw from the door, wasn't it? Like a ski slope with people just relaxing and skiing. It was like, what, 10 metres, 20 metres away? I can't remember exactly how far it was. But it was so close that the shadows from people going up on the ski lift were being cast on the house. So every time we did anything outside, there would be shadows visible. And like, I remember like, I mean, I, I don't think some of the shots, I think we ended up having to cut around a lot of it because it was just becoming too, either too tricky or too time consuming to remove every shadow. But yeah, I mean, that's just a challenge you just wouldn't normally have, is it? You know, you don't literally enter a location thinking, yeah, well, like, obviously we've got the, the shadows to remove. You know, it just became like, that's what I think it's just sort of what happened on the whole film as a whole. It's like we all, always had these little things to overcome and little challenges to solve, basically. Yeah, we we didn't have, as much as we had a, a team of helpful people, we didn't have an art director and we didn't have a continuity advisor. And these might seem like sort of smaller roles in the grand scheme of things, but they're really important in terms of contributing to an overall project. And when you're flitting around as much as we were, both of these things were really important. Continuity in terms of beard length, as we've already mentioned, and snow on shoulders, and which side of a door I've come out of or which hand I've brought up, these become really important because... They might sound really small and insignificant, but they, they take you out of the moment as a viewer or an audience if these are too obvious or too distracting. And the same goes for art direction. So, you know, we had to really be on the ball with the art direction and make sure that visually it all contributes to this world and the lore of the world that we wanted to create. Things like what you just said, the shadows of a ski lift going by become sort of game-breakingly bad if you can actually see it it might seem like a small thing with shadows passing by but it's a huge thing uh, to the point where all of a sudden you've been in the moment as an audience member of the audience and then you see shadows passing by it's so distracting it's weird as well isn't it now hearing you say it i'm thinking they only bugged us because we knew they were shadows of a ski lift when thinking to an audience They'd have just been random shadows. And I'm thinking, we might have got away with that. Which Tom Cruise film is it where his hair length just consistently changes throughout the whole film? He goes from like a bit of a mullet to like a very short cropped hairstyle. And then the next scene, he's got longer hair again. It's like, I think it's a Harrison Ford quote that goes something like, if people are looking at your hair, you're not doing your job. So, so yeah, I mean, I understand that principle. But I also think that when things are within your hands, when they are controllable, yes. there's always you're always going to get stuff wrong. Yes. And there's always going to be stuff that goes wrong that you haven't noticed or, or whatever. And that's that's going to be completely unavoidable. And if you keep trying to rectify every single last problem, then you'll never get anywhere. But by the same token, if you're aware of something, you have to figure out a way of avoiding it because as because of the aforementioned reason that there will always be something wrong. Be yes. Because with Tom Cruise changing his hair, that was unavoidable in the end. 
But if there's that, and then there's also another character who the same thing happens for, and there's another scene where there's shadows flying by in the background, and there's another scene where there's it becomes a mess. So you have to avoid the things that you've noticed, because if you don't, then all the things that you haven't noticed added to the things that you have noticed are going to make it into a total mess. Yeah. I mean, the one <laughs> thing I've always thought, I mean, I mean, I know I'm, we're working at a different level. I know if you're working on like a big Hollywood production where you're building everything from the ground up on a soundstage, you have control over everything. And when you talked about art direction before, I think it's like, you know, we'd only really seen a few pictures of that house. You know, we just turned up. You know, we didn't even get the chance to 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 do a recce, did we? We just turned up to that house yeah. and were like, this is the house it's going to be. And like from the one angle, it looked perfect. I think it was like almost, you know, there's a certain serendipity to filmmaking. I think, uh, you know, when you're just there is an element of chance and an element of just getting things right, especially when you're on a lower budget and you can't control everything. You you do leave a lot up to fate. But I think we landed on our feet with some of that. The only thing I would take away from that house is I think the the one side that we show a lot of looks great and then the front where we needed the door which was very important had a very sort of it was almost too austrian for me too cliche austrian it, it didn't feel like a a home it just felt like a, it did feel like a chalet or which i mm. which I, which i know a lot of the audience probably won't question but like i know in when you when you read the script originally as we said it probably would have it would have been like a more traditional house or a more like you know something that wasn't so obviously in an, in an Austrian ski slope, I think. I was going to ask you that question, actually, just to, you reminded me of something else before. I was going to ask you the question just to explain to me, even though I was, I was with you every step of the way, the reasons for us having to shoot the door scene with four or five different doors. I forget now. <laughs> I forget why that was. So first of all, we did the shots looking at me, looking at the character of David as he talks to Rachel, who is outside. They were shot downstairs in this house, then we realised, I think we, we did it that way. I think we knew at this point we, we couldn't shoot the door because that door had a little window. That door had a little window. Obviously, it wouldn't make any sense if I was having this conversation with Rachel outside of the door because because you'd see that Rachel was there and it would just lose everything. Yes. It didn't make any sense. So we couldn't have the window. So we didn't shoot over the shoulder of me of that same door. So we went up to another door in the same house. It had the same type of wood. It had the same type of look because it was the same house. So then we went upstairs. We shot this other door which had a good bolt which I had to be fiddling with which was key for that part of the story. Also it didn't have a window and it and we could light it similarly and all of that sort of stuff then we went to austria and we realized that door too had a window which became a problem because not only was there a window but it was shaped differently to the first window that we'd used <laughs> it was <laughs> um and it, it wouldn't work anyway um but we had to make do with it so we well you had to change that in post but because there was no way of get other way of getting the exterior shot of this door without getting the window in so we had to do it and we had to just go Anthony, can you save us in post here, please? And you did. Then we went back to Leamington and we refilmed the shot of me opening the door from the inside. We'd hoped to get the shot of me opening the door from the inside in Austria. But of course, when you open the door from the inside in Austria, it opens to this big ski lift and ski <laughs> resort. So we couldn't do it from the inside there. So we had to go back to there. And also the reason why we did it right upstairs rather than downstairs was because it was nice and wide that was the main reason really wide right. we were able to we were able to 
shoot over my shoulder with a big wall. That makes sense. Over over like the outside of it as well. Yeah. I mean, I say it makes sense. It makes absolutely no sense. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but we did it. We did it anyway. And that's how it, that's how it came. I mean, it's funny because actually of all the scenes, I think, I don't know if you have this being an actor, but like I know on any project, like I always latch on to one moment or one scene that I'm really like, that almost excites me. And it's like, you know, it's the, it's the, it, I remember when I first read the script, this moment of you sitting by the door and I can still in my head now see how I saw it in my head. Yeah. It's, yeah, same. It, it's nothing like what we have in the film. No. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. But there's no way around that. No, yeah. yeah. And that, that just comes down to the fact that's, that's where the budget constraints come in. It's like, if we were building a set and we were constructing yeah. it, I'm sure we would have made sure we had, you know, we'd have had the right door with no window, with a big latch, with the depth that exactly. we needed. And it just, and it would have been, you know, all those problems that you overcome in pre-production would have made the post a lot simpler. But we had the opposite problem in that we had to just make do with what we had and then try our best to muddle our way through it and and hopefully come out of it with what ultimately is important, which is like a cohesive scene, you know, something that people can watch and connect with. Because the, the idea that somebody would watch this scene and be like, hang on a second, I'm sure there's four different doors in that scene would completely ruin it. Do you know what I mean? And that's that's the mm. challenge. That's the challenge of any filmmaking. I think it's almost the filmmaking as a process, which has become the dominant theme of our conversation, is really secondary to the story and to the Massively. the message that you're trying to tell. And you know, I mean, even I mean, I felt for you at times. It's like you know, when you're younger and you you dream of making films, you you know, you you think about like actors and you know sort of imagine them like you know i was put actors on a bit of a pedestal you know you, you come out of your trailer and you know you you do your, you do your breathing exercises and then you know you come out and you you do your scene but i mean at times i really felt for you i was just like you know it's almost like more often than not it was just like are you ready jay we've got to do it now or never mate let's go <laughs> and it was just like let's get it let's do it and it just like always seems to be that sort of just like like you can turn it on in an instant but i think you did an amazing job under those circumstances to just like you know especially because you are technically like the producer as well you know i mean you're dealing with the worries of is there going to be snow how do I get a house? Where am I going to find a girl that looks exactly like a lead actress? And that almost became the primary concerns above and beyond. How am I going to play this scene? You know, what, am, what, what's the emotion of the scene? And I think you always seem to have that under your, under control of everything, everything that we didn't have under control. You always seem to be able to perform what needed to be performed, if that makes sense. Well, good. Thank you. I mean, the script and the way, in the way we had to have that story play out didn't actually play into the idea of it being character driven as much as I'd hoped. I'd hoped for it to be, my initial dream had been more about the characters. That was my initial dream, but the way it all played out, the, the story ended up changing and evolving and the script ended up changing and evolving because of the circumstances, which meant that not only did I not have the time to prepare as much as I would have hoped, but also that it wasn't as character driven as I originally hoped either. It was more um, theme driven and we had to make it theme driven because not only is that actually really useful for a short film, for it to be driven by some some sort of deeper theme, but also it had to be by necessity because of all the other parts that we couldn't manufacture. Mm. It's interesting to go to talk about those points because, you know, for all our conversations about the filmmaking side of it, fundamentally what I connected with initially was when, when you first sent me the script, I, I don't know if you remember, but it was... It was literally not long after my my dad had died. And, and I remember it seemed almost like, like I talked before about the serendipity of filmmaking. It's like, you know, this story 
I connected with and whether you project onto a story or, you know, in a sense, I don't know. But for me, it was about loss and about the control of that and the inability and the futility to to want to control everything. Like I feel your character, David, feels like he's in control the whole time when you realize the whole story He's not, you know, he's always on the back foot and he always, ne he never, I mean, the, uh, the ultimate thing of the film is that he doesn't actually really succeed. <laughs> you know, it's quite a pessimistic story in that sense, but really that's kind of what it's saying. It's, it's, it's almost saying for me that it's not about, like you will lose things in life and you can't control everything, but it's almost the acceptance of that. It's the acceptance that you will lose things and you can't always have the control of that um that's kind of what the film was about to me and I, it's actually weird in a way i remember do you remember we went through this process of adding in the sound design kind of like very medical sounds yeah um now i i thought at a certain point we worried that that was too on the nose and we took them all out but there's still it still exists in the final film there's, a, yeah. there's, a, there's a scene like and that just comes down to a, it's like that uh, that analogy you can't see the wood for the trees sometimes like when you watch the film finished now it seems quite simple but you know on the timeline it looked like a you know it was an absolute hor horrendous timeline wasn't it it was like so many shots and and, and things because i do wonder i don't know if anyone ever picks up on it but like that kind of for me ties into what the film the, the deeper themes of the film um what what it meant to me really yeah one thing that thematically we kept on sort of having the conversation on was we wanted to know we wanted to be in agreement about what the themes were so that in the end even if it wasn't evident what those themes were to the audience or to each individual member of the audience we wanted and bearing in mind we wanted it to have a degree of ambiguity anyway but it was important that and it kind of comes back to what i was saying earlier about how you know if you overlook all of the problems you make then there's going to be other problems out there. So we needed to ensure that we knew what the deeper theme was. Because even if no one else did, it would have this underlying coherence. And I don't want to say too much about what we discussed, but it's called the cold for a reason. And the shadow people represent something. And David's relationship with Rachel represents something. And like you say, the acceptance of that loss means something and the cold represents something again i don't want to say i don't want to spell things out to the audience as such but hopefully it means different things to different people but maybe it means the right thing to some people too no i think that one it makes sense because i think that was the thing we toiled with from the thematic side of it was that kind of you know you can be surreal and you can be um you know ambiguous in your storytelling but it has to i think we always had this underlying thing that it, it had to have some sort of sense to it like that there was some logic to it and, and it didn't matter if that and i think we had this discussion a number of times it has to work on the level of that this is you know this is actually all as it's transpiring is just surface level you know there's this guy and he's trapped in a house with his partner he wants to save her there's these evil shadow figures blah 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 that it works on that story level but, exactly. But equally, it had to work that if you are going to go slightly more surreal, that it does still make sense in 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 the world that you're presenting. And I think I think that's what separates. I mean, to to move on to the thing about what we each learned, I think that's one of the things that I learned doing this, and what I'm hopefully going to take moving forward onto other projects is that ultimately the story is king. You know, the story. I think sometimes we almost like in our excitement to get started and all the challenges that come up along the way of production that we've discussed today, you do sometimes lose sight of the 
the story you lose sight of what it is you're actually trying to achieve and i think that's what separates sometimes great films from lesser films it's like i mean even something like as say as as popcorn as the lord of the rings like you you trust that peter jackson he always understood the story he always understood what the characters were doing what their motivation was so even in the spite of in the, in the face of all the challenges that I'm sure production of that level throws up, that was always the the underlying foundations. And I, th- I think for me, it's like, it would be that like a lot of our challenges, especially in the post-production and editing phase, came from sort of fixes that we, we, we perhaps hadn't addressed in the script stage almost. You know, we had mm. gone back through iterations and that wasn't necessarily through naivety. Like we were, it, it just came down to problems that arose from a budgetary level that we couldn't achieve certain things that we wanted to achieve. So that foundationally changed the story. Um, Because we did basically reshoot the whole, we changed the whole dialogue in the end scene, didn't we? Is that right? Yeah, the the ending and what the ending meant changed several times, not only in the script process, but also in in the sort of planning process. And what it ended up as was as a result of logistical and well lots of different reasons but but it wasn't as we'd originally intended i don't think that's fine i mean i quite like that's the other thing about filmmaking as a process it's kind of like there is an element of trial and error ultimately you're always just going to try and do what feels right that's my sort of mantra underneath it all it's like what feels right Mm. Um, and that's the only truth that you can ever adhere to really i suppose it's just like does it does it feel true to you when it is disingenuous or it's pandering or you know in some ways trying to be something it's not that's when you an audience disconnects or they find it pretentious or whatever the word may be you know people ultimately you just want people to connect with it that's all I ever want really I think that I think I I, I think that is the main thing I will take away I think my main learning point is the import like I always knew that theme was important and messages were important but like I think sometimes the like for me especially it got like the water's got a bit muddy you know when you are overcoming all the other obstacles it's sort of and you sort of sacrifice too much but it's like I think that's what I would always concentrate moving forward is like what is it we're trying to say ultimately you know and that you know above and beyond everything else that's what because that's that's essentially all people leave a a theater with or a cinema or watch a film or Netflix whatever it is you don't leave with a of a like a verbatim memory of every in every scene or every moment you'd leave with a feeling you leave with an idea i i totally agree that story is the most important thing and if you can try and have the story and the script and the characters work towards that as best as you can but then you have to do that without it feeling contrived as well because otherwise i mean there's many cases where storylines have characters do things that that don't feel true to the characters within them because it's so clear and evident that the the writers and the directors are trying to push the characters into doing a thing that is required that they do in order for the story to progress. So there's really a difficult balance there in terms of storytelling. But then also, especially if you've not made anything before, or especially if you've if you're an artist or you're, you're a creative, there is sometimes a propensity for people or for artists to dwell or to procrastinate or to overthink before they get started. But especially for those who haven't done anything before, it's absolutely imperative that you just do it. And that's something that we did with this. We just did it. At the end of the day, how many five pages of scripts have you written? How many 
scripts have you completed? How many short films have you filmed? And how many have you thought about filming? And that's really, really the biggest takeaway for me is that once you have an idea or the inception of an idea, you've got to follow it through to its to its end because that's actually the hard part. Despite what everyone else says about filmmaking and writing and all the critics that are out there waiting to bring you down, the hardest part is doing it. Yeah, it goes back. I, I remember a guy, I used to work in a pub when I was younger, like behind a bar, and I remember a guy saying, when I used to say about, oh, I want to be a filmmaker or, you know, I want to do effects or, you know, be a film director or whatever, he used to say, well, the beauty of being a film director is all you have to do is direct a film. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you can say you're a film director, technically. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and I, I, yeah. I, I always took that as like, yeah, no one's, no one's telling you you can or you can't. It's not like, you know, if I want to be CEO of Microsoft, I've got to get, I've got to be hired into that position. But, you know, that's the beauty of filmmaking these days is, you know, the access to sort of high quality cameras, at an affordable price, you know, I mean, Look at just look at the things on YouTube these days. There's incredible, incredible films being made that probably, you know, for for no money, just people's passion and 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 talent driving it. Um, and that's an incredible thing, really. And I, I think to what you said, I mean, even I'm listening to you going, "That's good advice, Joe. I need to, I need to take that on myself." <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it well, is, I'm listening to myself as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like it, it is. It is so easy to start things or have an idea, have a seed of an, an idea, but. You know, it, it is about the perseverance and the following through and, and getting it done, really, I think. Because, I, I mean, you know, of all the things in my life that I thought I would do, you know, I could probably tick box less than half. Do you know what I mean? So it is about, you know, just getting out there and doing it. I, I did hear something recently that said that, like, you know, the most successful people, they do just do. They don't talk. You know, so you can talk about doing a short film or you can talk about making a, a piece of art, you know, until the day comes that that you leave this planet but you know it won't actually happen until you do it um so it, yeah. is, it is important definitely i mean i've often thought from a sort of a more personal point of view if you're just sat at home doing nothing then nothing will happen yes. where soon the moment you step outside the house the moment you pick up a phone the moment you pick up a pen something is happening and you know that's the same with art and creativity